0: we're back mike and paul political theory and um other stuff doing the racial contract uh we're at the section the subsection called the racial contract has always been recognized by non-whites as the real determinant of most white moral/political practice and thus as the real moral/political agreement to be challenged um, and we're at 109 Awesome. Get it started.
1: <clears throat> if the epistemology of the signatories, the agents of the racial contract, requires evasion and denial of the realities of race, the epistemology of the victims, the objects of the racial contract, is unsurprisingly focused on these realities themselves. So there is a reciprocal relationship. The racial racial contract tracking white moral political consciousness the reaction to the racial contract tracking non-white moral slash political consciousness and stimulating a puzzled investigation of that white moral slash political consciousness. The term standpoint theory is now routinely used to signify the notion that in understanding the workings of a system of oppression, a perspective from the bottom up is more likely to be accurate than one from the top down. Uh, I think always something that should be kept in mind when studying history. Uh, what is involved here then is a racial version of standpoint theory, a perspectival. I've never. Have you ever seen that word? Perspectival? No. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure I can guess what it means, but uh, a perspectival cognitive advantage that is grounded in the. Um, Feminological experience of the disjuncture between official, in parentheses, white reality and actual, parentheses, non-white experience. The double consciousness of which W.E.B. Bois spoke, this differential racial experience generates an alternative moral and political perception of social reality, which is encapsulated in the insight from the black American folk tradition I have used as the epigraph of this book. The central realization summing up the racial contract that when white people say justice they mean just us, Uh, obviously, still very applicable to society. We don't ever run out of uh, modern examples of this. Uh, You know, obviously, it's early 2021. So the Capitol riots are are a very good example. But um, watching people who literally uh, stormed our Capitol to stop uh, legislation from happening or the transition of power from happening, uh, were walked down the steps by the police, not, not beaten uh, not tear gas not tased uh, but politely escorted out of uh, literally bringing our government to a halt
0: and those that were like uh maced or tased were just like shocked you know there are multiple recordings yeah. of people being like yeah i i was maced and they're like well wh- what are you doing what happened it's like, we were storming the capital it's like well why were you doing that it's like Oh, just to you know, take back our country. It's like oh, so you were engaged in an attempted insurrection, and you were maced, and you're upset by that. Like, what the? What's the problem here?
1: And it wasn't even just like the vicinity, which is what happens to most protests that aren't related to that. It was exactly the people who were literally like punching cops and breaking windows, and uh, there, I, I believe, there was probably very little just people standing around that encountered any of that either which is fucked up too i could be wrong on that obviously Uh, so non-whites have always at least in the first encounters been bemused or astonished by the invisibility of the racial contract to whites the fact that whites have routinely talked in universalist terms even when it has been quite clear that the scope has really been limited to themselves correspondingly non-whites with no vested material or psychic interest in the racial contract objects rather than subjects of it Viewing it from outside rather than inside, subpersons rather than persons, are, at least before ideological conditioning, able to see its terms quite clearly. Thus, the hypocrisy of the racial polity is most transparent to its victims. The corollary is that non white interest in white moral and political theory has necessarily been focused less on the details of the particular competing moral and political candidates. Utilitarianism versus deontology versus natural rights, rights theory, uh, liberal, liberalism versus conservatism versus socialism. Uh, just a, a interesting tidbit I learned from Tim Pool. Uh, did you know that Unitarianism uh, or utilitarianism is actually the villain in Marvel movies, Mike?
0: yes yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah. (laughs) just wild when you really think about it (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, i really need to change my approach because of those movies yeah yeah i i I, like i thought i had it all figured out and then i was like wait is thanos talking about utilitarianism (laughs)
0: fuck Uh, fuck fuck (laughs) <laughs> that to go back to the drawing board.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, then in the unacknowledged racial contract has usually framed their functioning. The variable that makes the most difference to the fate of non-whites is not the fine or even coarse-grained conceptual divergences of the different theories themselves. All have their heron variants. But whether or not the subclause invoking the racial contract, thus putting the theory into heron mode, has been activated. The details of the moral theories thus become less important than the meta-theory, the racial contract in which they are embedded. The crucial question is whether non-whites are counted as full persons, part of the population covered by the moral operator, or not. And once again, I think it's all kinds of modern things you can point to, um, that uh, while Ben Shapiro is, is dead certain that everything in our society is equal, um, I think through that lens it's pretty clear that uh, no, no it's not. The preoccupation of non-white moral and political thought with issues of race, puzzling alike to a white liberalism uh, predicated on colorless atomic individuals and a white Marxism predicated on colorless classes and struggle, thus becomes readily uh, explicable once the reality of the racial contract has been conceded. What is involved is neither a simple variant of traditional European nationalism, to which it is sometimes assimilated, nor a mysterious political project unfolding in some alien theoretical space as in the mutually opaque language games postulated by postmodernism. The unifying conceptual space within within which both orthodox white moral slash political philosophy and unorthodox non-white moral slash political philosophy are developing is the space that locates the mythical social contract on the same plane as the real racial contract. Being predicated on the translation of race ...into the mutually commensurable and mutually intelligible language of personhood, and thereby demonstrating that these are contiguous, indeed identical spaces, not so much a different conceptual universe as a recognition of the dark matter of the existing one. Uh, Personhood can be taken for granted by some, while it... And all that accompanies it has to be fought for by others so that the general human political project of struggling for a better society involves a different trajectory for non-whites. And I know we've talked about this a million times, but that is the predication for uh, things like, oh my God, please help me with the word, like schools, white people get super pissed about it and call it racist, affirmative action, affirmative action. Um, you know, that is what the point is and... People are constantly saying, it's like, dude, it's not, it's not that you're born white and people shower you with money. Uh, and jobs are just given to you and things of that nature. It's like, no, you're born white. And a lot of the struggles that people who aren't born white with, you don't have to face. You don't have to face teachers assuming you're a lost cause. You don't have to face the fact that if you spend two extra minutes in a convenience store, you're going to spend 30 minutes dealing with cops. Like, it's just, there are, and those are just such mild, uh, examples, um, of what faces people who aren't white living in a white hegemony. Uh, what they have to deal with every day just to fucking survive, let alone get ahead. And it's the acknowledgement of that difference that allows, you know, that, uh, you know, pushed people to create affirmative action and things of that nature is we're not anywhere on an actual societal equal playing field. Let's acknowledge that people who have reached this level that aren't part of the hegemony worked their fucking asses off to get here and that they probably deserve acknowledgement of that. Not probably, but that they deserve an acknowledgement of that.
0: Yeah, it's just what it's about is creating equity and justice in our society, right? Because if if a certain category of people, because of their skin color, have to work harder to achieve the same thing as someone that doesn't uh, have that same skin color, then obviously that's unjust. And it's about attempting to create justice where there hasn't been justice in the past.
1: Exactly, and just like a uh, a small example I've been thinking of is like uh, the architect that was discussed earlier, and how not only did he have to learn how to be an architect, he had to learn how to read everything upside down because white people wouldn't sit on the same table as him. It's just you know, it's that small.
0: They they wouldn't stand on the same side the side of the table,
1: right? But, yeah. Right. So it's like you know, I, I I could picture an asshole being like, "Well, that's not a big deal," but that's just one of the. Myriad of aspects that, you know, somebody in that position has had to deal with their entire fucking life just to get
0: and 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 we have to understand that it's not like a white person pulled him aside and said hey right. dude just so you know people probably feel uncomfortable and he's like oh i've never noticed that okay i'll learn how to read maps upside down he had to spend or or blueprints upside down he had to spend probably uh, i assume a couple months maybe a couple years like noticing weird little things and over time slowly putting it together and being like oh all that shit happened because they just don't feel comfortable close to me. I need to do something to change that. And so like we've talked about before, what that creates is this um, or what that can create is this um, hyper uh, self-awareness and like and, and critiquing and analyzing situations. And then you have situations where something bad happens to you and it's like, well, was that guy being a dick or was that guy being racist or was it a combination or am I just overthinking shit, you know? And exactly. that could drive anyone insane, I think, you know. Yep.
1: Yep. Oh god. <laughs> it is no accident then that the moral and political theory and practical struggle struggles of non whites have so often centered on race, the marker of personhood and subpersonhood inclusion within, or exclusion from the racial polity. The formal contractarian apparatus I have tried to develop will not be articulated as such, but the crucial notions of the person-slash-subperson differentiation, the correspondingly racial-structured moral code, uh, Heron-Volk ethics, and the white supremacist character of the polity can be found in one form or another everywhere, in Native American, Black American, and third and fourth world anti-colonial thought.
0: Yep. Uh, so true. So true. Uh, Sitting Bull asks, what treaty that the whites have kept has the red man broken? Not one. What treaty that the white man ever made with us have they kept? Not one. When I was a boy, the Sioux owned the world. The sun rose and set on their land. Where are our lands? Who owns them? What white man can say I ever stole his land or a penny of his money? Uh, Yet they say I am a thief. What law have I broken? Is it wrong for me to love my own? Is it wicked for me because my skin is red? Ward Churchill, another Native American, characterizes European settlers as a self-conceived quote-unquote, master race. David Walker complains that whites consider blacks not of the human family, forcing blacks to prove to them ourselves that we are men. W.E.D. Du Bois represents blacks as a tertium... Qu- uh, tertium? I, I think tertium quid. A tertium quid. I don't know what
1: that means, though. So
0: Okay. That real quick. Uh, yeah, if you don't mind looking it up. Uh, tertium quid. Uh, that's a, a weird one.
1: Yeah, I only know how to pronounce it because I've seen the word tertiary and I could be making bad assumptions. It is tertiary. Uh, a third thing that is indefinite and undefined but is related to two definite or known things. Oh, That's kind of cool.
0: That is really cool. Um, as a ter a tertiary quid. Uh, somewhere between men and cattle. Okay, that makes nice. it make a yeah. lot of sense. Okay, comments that liberty, justice, and right are marked for white people only and suggest that the statement I am white is becoming the one fundamental tenet of our practical morality. Richard Wright analyzes the ethics of living Jim Crow. Marcus Garvey concludes that blacks are a race without respect. Um, what's this? What's this name?
1: <laughs> uh, wow. Jawaharl Uh, As always, Sorry. Yeah, Jarwal Hara
0: claims that British policy in India is that of the heronvolk and the master race. Martin Luther King Jr. describes the feeling of forever fighting a degenerating sense of nobodiness. Malcolm X asserts that America has not only deprived us of our right to be a citizen, she has deprived us of our right to be human beings, the right the right to be recognized and respected as men and women. We are fighting for recognition as human beings. Franz Fanon maps a colonial world divided between two different species: a governing race and a zoologic- and zoological natives. Amand Sizer uh, argues that the colonizer, in order to ease His conscience gets into the habit of seeing the other man as an animal. Colonization equals thingification. Australian aborigines in a 1982 protest statement at the Commonwealth Games in Brisbane point out that "...since the white invasion, our humanity is being degraded and our history distorted by strangers." Before the world, we accuse white Australia and her mother England of crimes against humanity and the planet. The past two centuries of colonization is proof of our accusation. We hereby demand yet again recognition of our humanity and our land rights. The central moral commonality uniting all these experiences is the reality of racial subordination, necessarily generating a different moral topography from the one standardly examined in white ethical
1: discourse. Sorry, what I'd be really curious about is like, you know, I mentioned Martin Luther King Jr. earlier, and we have clearly reached a stage where uh, in our real timeline, not the show being aired timeline, it's pretty close to Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And the amount of conservative assholes who were posting Martin Luther King Jr. quotes in an attempt to say that Democrats need to unify and forgive Republicans just fucking maddening, um, especially because A, they literally killed the man and B, uh, while um, his racial message uh, has reached a place where even people who aren't even subtly racist can like embrace it and be like, see, I like Martin Luther King. I'm not all bad. His political and uh, class message is something that they just fucking detest, and I bring or they that don't up. know about. Good call, um, and I bring that up because I wonder if the same thing has happened in uh, Australia with these Aborigines. Like I could picture conservative Australians being like, "See, they took their rights away. Now they're trying to take our rights away. We've got to like it's just." It's just sad to see that that concept we talked so much about in capitalist realism just pop up everywhere, where it's like, "Fuck, dude, this system just, uh, given it enough time, can incorporate and, for lack of a better word, somewhat neuter every every figure." And it's just fucking goddamn it.
0: Yeah, and also uh, commodify uh, movements. Yeah. Um, Yep. So uh and obviously stuff like uh black lives matter or even like uh gay pride are perfect examples of the commodification of agitation and and uh rejection of the hegemony
1: yeah yeah good call
0: anyhow um we're okay yeah correspondingly the polity was usually thought of in racial terms as white ruled and this perspective would become global in the period of formal colonial administration political theory is in part about who the main actors are and for this unacknowledged polity they are neither the atomic individuals of classic liberal thought nor the classes of marxist theory but races the various native and colonial peoples attempts usually unsuccessful to too little and too late to forge a racial unity Pan-Indianism, pan-Africanism, pan-Arabism, pan-Asianism, pan-Islamism arose in response to an already achieved white unity, a pan-Europeanism, formalized and incorporated by the terms of the racial contract. In the period of de jure global white supremacy of colonialism and slavery, this solidarity was clearly perceived by whites also. That race is everything is simply a fact— writes Scotsman Robert Knox in The Races of Men, 1850, and theories of the necessity of racial struggle, race war, against the subordinate races are put forward as obvious. Darwin's work raised hopes in some quarters that natural selection, perhaps with a little help from its friends, would sweep away the remaining inferior inferior races, as it had already done so providentially, in the Americas and Tasmania, so that the planet as a whole could be cleared for white settlement. And after that, only the sky would be the limit. In fact, even the sky would not be the limit, for there was always the solar system. Cecil Rhodes dreamed that perhaps he could annex the planets, planets for Britain. Where
1: there is space, there is hope. Dad, that's just really depressing. <laughs> I don't know why, but just thinking of like english colonialists being like this isn't enough this isn't even close to enough we're gonna have to get to the planets too uh it's just i know it's just it i guess it bums me out because it's like man how do you combat that thought process that like no matter how much you have it's just never enough that your only goal in life is just to accumulate and dominate and like i just and it's so far, out, yeah. It's so far out of anything in my scope of thought that I don't even understand how to like talk somebody out of it. If that makes sense or whatever. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah, totally. Totally. Okay. Uh, but alas, this noble dream was not to be realized. Even with encouragement, non-whites did not die fast enough, so whites had to settle for colonial rule over stubbornly growing native populations, while of course keeping a watchful eye out for both rebellion and subversive notions of self-government. Witness uh, the various colored perils, red, Native American that is, black and yellow, that have haunted the the European and Euro-planted immigration. Europe, Kernan comments, thought of its identity in terms of race or color and plagued itself with the fears of the yellow peril or the or a black peril, boomerang effects, as they might be called, of the white peril from which the other continents were more tangibly suffering. The political framework is quite explicitly predicated on the notion that whites everywhere have a common interest in maintaining global white supremacy against insurrections conceived of in racial terms. At the turn of the century, Europeans were worried about the vast, Ant heap uh, filled with soldier ants of China, while similar fears were in the air about a huge black army threatening a race war of revenge led by dusky Napoleons.
1: Well, it's, um, I guess, I don't know if it's comforting or more depressing that people like this, to use some modern terminology, have been snowflakes since the get go. Like being in the hegemony, doing all of the terrible things, and then pretending to be afraid that that's going to happen to you, or or no, just honestly being afraid. Yeah, know? just being afraid while you're Terrified. in the dominant position constantly, uh, which is a uh, I think a pretty common theme for modern day uh, American evangel uh, evangelicals. Um, for modern day, at this point, I'm not like trying to be, let's say, Trump supporters. You know, constantly yeah. feeling that like. Oh, you were able to do all of these things without consequence with your political party, but you're afraid that you're going to get fucked? It's like, okay, okay. Yep. Yep. You can't provide one thing, one thing about what you're actually afraid of. You could just constantly talk about how your ideals or whatever are in attack. And it's like, okay, legislatively, can you point to that? Can you point to anything that has ever implied that? Oh, no, you can't. It's just a feeling. Wait, I thought we didn't discuss feelings. I thought we discussed facts. You know, that's yep. it's just... The same shit, man. The same shit. Totally. Totally. Um, All right, let's let's wrap her home for today. That's not a sentence that exists, but I'm just going to keep going anyway. (laughs) 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 Though there were occasional breaches for strategic national advantage, international white racial solidarity was generally demonstrated in the joint actions to suppress and isolate slave rebellions and colonial uprisings. The boycott of Haiti, the only successful slave revolution in history, and, non-coincidentally, today, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Keep in mind, a country that is literally attached uh, to, uh, is it the DR?
0: Yep. Yep.
1: Yeah. And so you yep. can clearly see that it's not really a geographical thing that fucked those people. It was that the entire world said, oh, fuck you. We're not dealing with you. Uh, and then just traded with their their partners. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like,
0: I would love i would love to hear destiny talk about that because he's so um you know anything that that's that that seems slightly conspiratorial he rejects you know like the whole like manufacturing consent and there are a few other examples I can't think of right now and so i'd just love to hear him explain away um haiti's poverty you know. Well, they
1: just didn't have the infrastructure in place to be, uh, setting up a port, uh, you know, that sort of stuff. It wasn't, it's not that the colonists didn't want to trade with them. It's just they didn't have the ability to do it. Like, okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he'd be like, that's fucked. But, well, I, I doubt yeah. it. um, uh, uh, the common intervention against the 1899 through 1900 Boxer Rebellion in China, the concern raised by the 1905 Japanese victory over Russia, uh, as late as the early t- early 20th century, books were still being published with such warning titles as The Passing of the Great Race and The Rising Tide of Color Against White, supre- white World Supremacy. Intra-European differences and conflicts were real enough but would be quickly put aside in the face of the non-white threat. In the course of their rivalries, Europeans exchanged many hard words and sometimes abused each other in order to please a non-European people. But when it came to any serious colonial upheaval, white men felt their kinship and Europe drew together. Above all, and very remarkably, despite innumerable crises over the rival claims, the European countries managed from the War of American Independence onward to avoid a single colonial war among themselves. Man, I've never really thought about it. It like that and that's yeah fuck what
0: about napoleon what was going on with that
1: uh it wasn't uh, a colonial war okay. okay i think it was like in there um
0: oh yeah his whole thing was like he was he was freeing europe from the reign of kings of monarchs yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, even though that's not really how it worked out, that's right. what he was right. saying he exactly. was doing.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, and that, yeah, that's actually, uh, I don't have enough knowledge to fully understand because it seems like that would have some colonial implications. But um, obviously not. And I'm very much willing to bet Charles Mills does way more about this than I do. So, I'll, I'll just. Yep. Well, although and, that's and not that's, what he wrote, he, but. I don't right, think he'd but include it in his book. If he didn't agree with it. And that yeah. uh, um,
0: ties back in. We are talking about conservatives on the internet. There, I feel like um, so many of them right here would just be like, oh, okay, well, this dude's obviously wrong. Because right. I found the one flaw in his book. Rather than, I guess you could call it taking um, a leap of faith and saying, well, he has the credentials as a philosopher and, and has... Um, enough past uh, citations that i trust that he would have looked that he looked into that uh and didn't overlook it and that the fucking editor and the publisher right. did the same thing you get yep. what i'm saying
1: yep exactly and the acknowledgement that we might not exactly know what's implied by the world right. words colonial war But yes yep. yeah yeah and totally fuck and if he is if this part of the book is completely wrong that's not his area of expertise, and I'm not going to shit over everything else because of it. Although, right. back to it, Mills, I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> um, right, yeah. But uh, uh, the, this unity ended in the 20th century with the outbreak of World War I, which was in part an inter-imperialist war over competing colonial claims. But despite non-white agitation and military participation largely as cannon fodder, in the armies of their respective mother countries, the post-war settlement led not to decolonization, but to a territorial redistribution among the colonial powers themselves. Okay, I'll take this one, and you can take that one. In the interwar years, Japan's pan-Asiatic, greater East Asia co-prosperity sphere was seen by what most white Western leaders as a threat to global white supremacy. Indeed, as late as World War II, the popular American writer Pearl Buck had to warn her readers that colonized peoples would not continue to put up with global white domination, and that unless there was change, their discontent would lead to the longest of human wars, the war between the white man and his world, and the colored man and his world. Um, Corresponding to this global white solidarity transcending national boundaries, the virtual white polity Non-white's common interest in abolishing the racial contract manifested itself in patterns of partisan emotional identification, which, from a modern, more nationalistic perspective, now seem quite bizarre. In 1879, for example, when the King of Burma learned of the Zulu defeat of a British army at uh, Isandlwana, uh, he immediately announced his intention of marching on Rangoon. In 1905, Indians cheered the Japanese victory over the Tsar's white armies in the Russo-Japanese War. In the Spanish-American War, black Americans raised doubts about the point of being a black man in the army of white men sent to kill the brown man. And a few blacks actually went over to the side of Emilio uh, Aguinaldo's Filipino forces. After Pearl Harbor, the ominous joke circulated in the American press of a black sharecropper who comments to his white boss, by the way, Captain, I hear the Japs done declared war on you white folks. Black civil, um, black civil rights militants demanded the double victory, victory at home as well as abroad. Japanese intelligence considered the possibility of an alliance with black Americans in a domestic colored front against white supremacy, and white Americans worried about black loyalty. The 1954 uh, Vietnamese victory over the French at Dien Bien Phu like the Japanese capture of Singapore in World War II was in part seen as a racial triumph the defeat of a white by a brown people a blow against the arrogance of global white supremacy i mean oh. uh, yeah and it really just makes me think about how unbelievably fucked it was for black soldiers to return to america after both world wars like to mm-hmm. not only fight for your country But then to go and interact with countries where you see that you don't have to be treated like that. I'm not saying that European countries were, you know, racially forward thinking. But America was that much further back um, in it. Uh, And then to come back and not ever be treated like heroes. But to have your businesses burned and your fucking children lynched. I, I just fucking, I can't even imagine. And just even pretending to imagine fills me with rage. And I'm part of the hegemony. You know, like it's just... The fucking travesty, the tragedies of all this are so fucking overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So fucking overwhelming. And and continuing to this day, unfortunately. Totally. Uh, totally. but totally. we're making this podcast, so not for much longer. <laughs> I'm just yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> so um, so next time we're gonna be finishing uh, the rest of that section?
1: Yes. Yep. Okay, yep. cool. Cool. And cool. maybe uh dipping a little further. We'll see.
0: Oh, we'll see. Excellent, excellent. Well,
1: um, yeah, I look forward to it. Thanks for joining us and have a great day.
2: The Donner Party. The Donner family and a bunch of travelers trying to get to California over the Sierra Nevada mountain range. They made the mistake of trying to make the trip in the middle of winter. We're talking the Lake Tahoe region. They get to the peak. It was so bad that they had to turn to cannibalism to survive. That's what's noteworthy about the Donner Party. If you read the diaries written by the leaders of the Donner Party, the only reference to how cold it was was one sentence. It was a particularly tough winter. It's just what was. They didn't complain about it because there was nothing they could do. They had to adapt. This is what's missing There seems to be no concept of adaptation. There seems to be no understanding in the millennial generation that we can adapt to this and that we're gonna have to.
1: Finally, the Republicans have found a message to run on. Trump 2020, your neighbors are